We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 152 weeks into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and two very special guests, but I'll get them in just a moment. Bruce, how are you today? Oh, healthy and alive. Glad to hear it. And from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Weston and Melissa. Weston, how are you? Good. Um, I uh, I am ha happy and alive and healthy, I think. That's good. That's good. And Melissa, how are you? It's good to see you again. Thank you. I'm well, busy, and all things are good. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear it. We were talking in prep, and I suppose we could start the conversation here. And I, quite frankly, I thought it was a great conversation. I'm, a, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't hit the record button while we were actually talking about it. But we were talking about central bank digital currencies. And that's been a hot topic. I've had people privately asking me about it. Uh, in the last, I don't know, uh, three, four weeks. So uh, let's discuss it. You uh, you brought up some interesting points from uh, some information that uh, that you'd come across in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, we were just kind of brainstorming back and forth and giving our thoughts and our opinions on it. So let's just have the discussion again. So what were you actually hearing? And we'll just start from there. Well, I had uh, been preparing to replay one of Alan Watts' talks on cutting through the matrix. And he was talking about the digital system that we're going into where we'll have a credit system. And I was looking to see what the latest was on central bank digital currencies. And I found a few interesting pieces of news. And then simultaneously, one of the listeners sent me in a link of a podcast that was done with two investors speaking to one another. And the show was called The Market Sniper. And his name, uh, Bruce, I think you remembered his first name, but it was Hunter, Hunter, the Hunt, Hunter Method. Don't remember his first name right now. But he was talking with Clive Thompson, who um, a British investor living in Switzerland. And Hunter, uh, the Market Sniper, I think is in South Africa. And they were just having a very matter-of-fact conversation about the inevitability the entire globe going to as digital currency what it will do when it eliminates all nations currencies how quickly it will come in he said you know of course the insiders will have a heads up on it but the average investor the average person with money a little bit of money in the bank or you know small amount of cash We'll be given no heads up. It'll come in something like a the 2008 crash. Um, there'll be another 
crash. And with that will come the entire globe moving over into this system. And then they went on to talk about things I thought was fascinating, fascinating topics that they got into because they were all of the things that Alan had warned about for years, how this will be tied to a social credit system. You know, Bert, he'd always quote Bertrand Russell saying, you'll be given a certain amount of credits every month and you those credits will be given to you based basically on your behavior, your worth to society, and you will have to spend them all in one month. They don't roll over to the next month. You just start fresh. So anyway, it was an interesting interview that made me think, you know, wow, if this is just being spoken about matter-of-factly in the non-conspiracy theory world, then we're very, very close to this. I do believe that they will roll those things out. Uh, and this is what I was telling somebody a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they were asking me what, you know, what I thought, uh, unprovoked conversation. They were just asking me what I thought about uh, central bank digital currencies or, or CBDCs. Uh, and if I'd heard of them and I said, yeah, they pay attention to like all of the you know the YouTube things and what the um, uh, the market people say you know the mainstream market people like CNBC and Bloomberg and these investors that they have on there and their opinion was is that it's it's going to be implemented and it they make it seem like that it's going to be implemented tomorrow and it's it's going to be uh it's going to be something where you don't have any choice and and I have an opinion on whether or not uh it's going to be a choice because uh and I was telling you about it I I don't think that they're going to give anybody a choice. I mean, if they were to do an opt-in strategy, then I think you would see a large amount of people that would opt out as in like, no, sorry, uh, we don't want all of our transactions monitored. We don't want to be told what we can and cannot buy, but it's not going to be that. Now, I do mm -hmm. think that they're going to implement this. And I do think at first it's going to be uh, just like they do everything else, they'll implement it somewhere where they can get their foot in the door and they'll keep it there. It's like it's like jamming your foot in the door and they'll just wedge it open later. But I think they'll get it in somewhere. And, and I think you kind of alluded to, to what they were uh, discussing there is they will use it as a transaction between banks. You know, that's where it'll start. And then mm -hmm. it'll filter down to, you know, the customer level uh, and the account holder level and the investor level. But I, I think, and this is, again, this is just my opinion, but I think what they're going to do is, is what you, what you kind of alluded to there is they're going to hold people hostage. They're not going to give you a choice. And I have to mm -hmm. think that, I mean, they're, uh, Ned talked about it earlier in the week. They're dumping all their cards on the table. It's like poker, you mm -hmm. know, we're all in, uh, it's two outs, bottom That's of the true. ninth and, and they're swinging for the fences here. They're going for broke. And I, I'm glad they're actually doing that, but uh, I personally believe that this is what they're going to do. I do believe we are going to see the market turmoil because we shouldn't be where we are now in the markets. This is not possible. I mean, if people think that we have economies that are based on supply and demand, um, I don't know where you're getting that information because we haven't had that for quite some time. So they're just throwing money in the air at these markets and, and it's just going down the drain. I mean, what what's money now? I mean, we were talking about inflation, uh, Weston. Uh, that was actually one of the first things <laughs> you mentioned when I asked you how you were doing was inflation. It's just it's getting out of control. It's, it's crazy. And yeah. I, I think what they're going to do is it will be a market crisis. Yeah, I, I do believe that wholeheartedly, uh, 100%. It will be a market crisis. And what they're going to do, they're going to close the banks, uh, just like they did under FDR. You'll see the bank holiday when they did the, the gold mm -hmm. devaluation. So they'll close the banks. You will not be able to get any of your money out, as in like when you try to run on the bank, there's nothing to run to. Nothing will mm -hmm. work. You will not be able to do any kind of financial transaction involving the banks or cash or anything like that. 
And then you'll see the, quote, experts or the central bank people. They'll come out and say, well, here are our options. This is what's going to have to happen. You're going to be able to keep part of your money and you'll have to do it through this new digital system. So it'll be, I don't know, a third, two thirds, whatever. It will be either that or if you don't do this, then you're going to lose everything. And I think they're going to hold a gun to people's heads. That's my opinion. And and don't forget, too, about the universal basic income idea and the whole idea of AI making people useless and taking all their jobs and so on. Well, if they do do start doing a universal basic income prod, uh, uh, you know, scheme, they can just say it's only going to be available digitally. And there you go. I mean, uh, if you're out of work, you have no way of making any income. I mean, you'll take it to get what you need. They're going to have to do a digital uh, universal basic income. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of they have to do it as in this is the right thing to do, but they're going to have to do it to keep the populace from revolting. Because as the AI takes over and machine takes over, you're going to lose your jobs. Everybody's going to lose their job. It's going to filter down. As we talked yesterday, it's going to filter everywhere. And as it does, um, people are not going to be able to afford food. So to keep people, you know, from rioting, you're going to have to have a universal basic income, a digital currency. You're going to have to have those things to keep the population in check. And this is something, um, you know, Elon Musk said, has said many times over the last few years, because he seems, you know, he's got the technocrat background, but he's the go-to guy on this particular issue. And he has said, it will be necessary. And, you know, so the, the, the billionaire has spoken. It will be necessary. I was looking into um, some of the things that came out of the World Economic Forum's recent meeting in Davos. And one of the things that they launched, it says, launched at Davos during the World Economic Forum week, the Universal Digital Payments Network, that's the UDPN, is a DLT underpinned messaging backbone focused on providing interoperability between the fast growing number of different regulated stable coins and CBDCs and seamless connectivity between any business IT system and regulated digital currencies. And, and, and it goes on from there. There was another thing that they announced at Davos, which was a company called Ripple helping Montenegro with their CBDC um, setup. They'll be one of the, what you'd call pilot programs, you know, to see how this is working within a country. So they're rolling these things out. They're, you know, telling the leaders and the billionaires, these things are necessary. These are the agencies that will help you facilitate the implementation, but it's coming. And I, I think that goes along with, uh, again, I mean, it's it's all a, a backbone of the uh, the social credit system and, the, you know, the digital world that Klaus Schwab promotes and, and talks about and when he writes about it in his, uh, his book about the fourth industrial revolution is they have to be able to sell you on something else. The financial system that they have messed with, and, and, and when I say messed with, our, our system of free market capitalism hasn't been allowed to operate for a very, very long time. And so the system doesn't work. I'm, I'm not saying that capitalism doesn't work. I'm saying the way that we are now, they don't allow it to work, as in they won't get the hell out of the way. So we can actually get on with doing business. And so that system is failing because they've interfered with it so much. That system is now going to collapse. And it's just a managed collapse, or at least they think that they're going to be able to manage it. And they have to sell you on something else as a currency. And it's not the digital currency that I'm speaking of. They're trying to sell you on social status. 
that's the currency. Mm-hmm. That's the real currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one one of the things that Alan Watt would talk about a lot was the idea that uh, a com- communism and capitalism were both great experiments, and they were never either one of them ever designed meant to last. They were meant to uh, last about seventy years. And they, capitalism and communism would blend into a new system. And as far back as, I don't remember now when the Rees Commission was. Um, 1950s. 1950s. Uh, some people in the United States, some politicians were discovering, oh, hey, foundations run this country. It's not quite as democratic as we think it is. And these foundations seem to have some very um, communist ideas that they are pushing on people, but that that what you have seen is this third way, if you will, the synthesis of these two ideas of communism and capitalism coming together in a new system. And NGOs and foundations had a huge role to play in that. And I, where we where we are now, I think, is we've been beautifully synthesized. You know, the WEF has come out with a new term, at least as, as far as I know, it's a new term. And their global risk uh, assessment that we have linked to on the website on Sunday uh, called anocracy, A-N-O-C-R-A-C-Y, anocracy. And basically the concept is, is that you only have a partial democracy, but increasingly there'll be autonomous organizations that can basically, you know, force you to do things like a way like, you know, government things to the wall, but they're not the government. They're just private organizations. And and they're saying basically, you know, in the, in the future we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be increasingly, you know, have this anocracy idea where you know they can just make all these arbitrary rules without any democratic representation, and that's basically. I mean, they already technically have been doing that, but they're saying like more and more organizations. There's gonna be more and more, you know, I guess bureaucracies, but not really like government bureaucracies, like all kinds of different organizations. All most of them private, just you know, uh, you're dictating how you should do things, and of course, you know that's 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 also what social credit is as well. So you know, they already um, they've already basically even admitted that they're they're we're going to be less less you know democratic and less and less freedom basically right there in that report 2023 risk assessment. And you had mentioned uh, uh, about how Alan used to say that I mean, what what do we need politicians for? Why don't we just be governed by the, uh, you know, the, the technocrats? And I, I tend to agree. At Davos, these meetings that they have at, at Davos, they're actually just, they're telling it. I don't I don't see any government people down there, with the exception of the occasional head of state or uh, the occasional sellout senator or house member or whatever that's sitting up there on stage. But they're not telling us anything we don't already know. I mean, those of us that are paying attention to these meetings. But what's happening at these organizations like that? And that, I mean, it's not, it, that's just one example. That's like the public face. Of it, when you when you look at things like uh, Weston's brought up here before, like the Club of Rome uh, and these types of organizations, all of the Council on Foreign Relations, all of these are unelected people, and they make public statements. Their think tank reports and and studies and everything they do, that's all public. What do we need politicians for? What what's the point of them? I, I don't see any need to to have them speaking. I mean, most of them don't know what they're talking about anyway. So why do we even entertain them any longer? Well, I, prostitutes have to be employed somewhere. That's true. Yes, <laughs> that is true. I think it. I mean, there's a lot of people who like they like. It, basically, there's still a lot of people who really believe, you know, in, in politics, and that that's the way. If you're ever going to get any change, real change done, you have to go through politics. You have to go through the politicians. You have to elect the right people. 
And there's a lot in as long, and they'll probably keep it as going as long as people, you know, keep on, you know, believing in that and keep on trying to push. Like we can, you know, uh, kick, uh, you know, we could, we can remove all the influence of these international organizations, the UN and WEF and all these, you know, uh, over the government. If we just elect the right people and have them clear out, and we can, you know, abolish the Fed and the CIA and all of that. But uh, I think even back in the 1930s, I forget. His, oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot his name. There was a politician talking about abolishing the Fed back then, and he got killed for that. I can't remember his name. I, I should. I'm sorry. I, I should have remembered his name. If you fast forward um, 30 years, his name was John F. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, people have been you know talking about abolishing the Fed, and the CIA, and and you know, getting out of all these organizations, like international organizations like the UN, for so on for for many years. And you know, maybe in the case of the U.S., maybe like it had enough international clout where it really, we really could do whatever we wanted and, and not really suffer all that much, maybe, you know, at some point, but certainly not now. We're no longer, I mean, we're very, we're global. We're, we're interdependent and supply chain shortages, you know, around the world affect us so badly that really, I mean, if there were a rogue state and everyone turns against us, you know, we can't, I mean, even if you, I mean, I'm mean, even, and this is even speaking theoretically, if you actually could elect politicians that truly wanted to pull out everything out, which, you know, there's no way. Um, you can't find a politician that would, you know, at least not enough, not you know, enough of them, certainly not for long, once I mean, they'll be bought off shortly. The idea of politics, you know, the reason why they keep the politicians, I think, is they'll, they'll keep them around, at least until they, they have a total control grid, total surveillance system, everybody completely on it. And then, if, then they can probably finally, because it's quite expensive to keep all these, you know, all the confetti and, and all the, you know, shows and, and uh, rallies, they call them, and, and so on. And all the traveling involved, you know, it's kind of a, you know expensive and resource depleted, de de and they're all obsessed, of course, in under sustainability with you know resource usage and how you're using it. So eventually, I'm sh I'm sure that the politicians will be dispensed with, but you know, for for you know as long as we're not we don't we're not in that like that 100 like as long as the final revolution hasn't quite been completed, where we're under you know complete mind control, they're probably you know keep them around just you know so they have something you know outlet for some people to you know a direction for some people to go in like a rebel pool that will bounce off the ground I, I, I think that we are probably pretty close to not needing that system anymore i mean for adults who are you know probably I, I don't know i'm just guessing here but maybe over the age of 30 there there's still the default position that you do have a nation and that you have even if you try to think beyond that and above that and, and to figure out what is really going on, because we get such early indoctrination, the emotions can still be so easily played upon. So when they play your national anthem and you see your flag and they talk about your country, those things have a tremendous effect on us. But if you look at where they're going with indoctrination and programming on the very young now, it, it's a mind job beyond anything that we've ever seen where children are questioning their gender at, you know, the age of three. Yeah. And um, th this is just rampant. You were playing a little piece from the, the Grammys, but this is mainstreamed in the culture. And they're, what they're getting as their default position is that older, bad people, careless people have destroyed the environment and it is up to these uh you know non-binary uh, individuals to save the planet and that that is their indoctrination and so you know mother earth then this concept much greater than your national identity so i i think we're pretty well 
there or where the yeah i even when i was in school um we were taught that uh, at least when i was in public school I, I did go to private school for a little while too but when i was it was on public school i mean if they ever even talked about you know i mean they really i mean they t- talked about you know declaration of independence and the constitution a, a bit but uh i mean re- really the the founding fathers i mean would be considered right-wing extremists you know, if they were alive today, that's basically what it's and they're like their views aren't really relevant anymore. I mean, that's, that's basically what you were taught back in my my school days. So, you know, I can't, you know, I'm think about what they're being taught right now then, you know. Um I don't know if it's necessarily being taught. I think it's more of, of being indoctrinated. We we'd mentioned mm-hmm. uh yeah. yesterday we opened with uh with that whole uh th- this transgender craziness that's going on. I made the point if you're a student and you're in a classroom and you've got a majority of the students in there that don't want to put up with that. And you just walk out of the classroom. What are they going to do? Are they going to send you home? Well, that'd be a better place for you than where you're at, in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. So, yeah. like, why why are you staying in there? Unless uh, you're what your mother is one of the ones who takes you to you know drag queen story hour, and then you know it yes. doesn't really matter where you go. <laughs> yeah. There, then there's that. Uh, but and, you know, and that that plays into I was going to say transitions. <laughs> that plays into. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's terrible that they they've just repurposed words like this out in front of everybody, and just yeah, like we have yeah, to like dance yeah. around it now to, to avoid it. But that plays into the, uh, the this whole craziness that's now bleeding over into like sports, um, like beauty contests, like the Miss Universe thing now is is run by a a, a trans. A, is it a guy? A wo- it, it's a <laughs> it's a, it's a trans woman, but it's a dude. It's okay. The, it's a guy. The, the word, the word, the pronoun that I like to use. Here's here. This is my preferred pronoun when discussing them. All that. Oh it, my goodness. It said. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. I it was thing. seen. Yep. 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 <laughs> well, uh, when I was talking to you last, I think it was the last time I was on. I mentioned um, Charlotte Iserby and. Um, a series of articles that was done by a, an author. I can't recall his name. Jean, John Kleisick. John Kleisick for an uh, unlimited hangout. And the series of articles was called Teachnocracy. And I was just reminded of that because of the uh, Redux talk on what that I put up on Sunday. He talked about the social engineering that happens in schools. And he mentioned the, you know, he said, unfortunately, uh, the late Charlotte Iserby. So, but you know, for it's a great thing that John Kleisick is actively carrying on the research that she did. And what she was talking about, what she discovered was that way back when you had a brotherhood, you know, she'd gotten all the way into the skull and bones and Yale and her own family's involvement in this. But it's a it's clearly an agenda to use what we would like to think of as educating her youngsters as nothing but social indoctrination. And it's it's just marching along with the agenda in time with the agenda. So, you know, 30 years ago, it would have been, um, you know, more concerned for the environment. But now the main thing is that the children must not have a, a gender identity that is static. It's got to be fluid. I can remember when I was in middle school. One of the teachers there, and she was actually like a, like she had won awards for being a good teacher and so on. And she her class was pretty fun. But one of the she said something to one of the students I thought was very interesting. She said, "You know, you, you can't say whether you shouldn't say whether you're straight or, or straight or gay because you haven't decided yet." This is to a middle school student. She said this. And I thought, well, now they're just doing that with gender. You, you can't say whether you're it's something you decide when you're older. 
<laughs> you know, like, you know, you're, you, until you're an adult, you can't decide which gender you are, basically. It's sort of like, you know, one of the, at least one of the avenues of thinking that I think, you know, these, these children seem to be going along. I think it's just, it's, I think it's an agenda that's, it, well, I mean, it, it, it all plays into what we started with tonight, it, it, the social credit system. And the reason it plays into that is because it, this, this other craziness, this is meant to keep everybody off balance and it's meant to screw up. Uh, the up and coming generations. So they're so turned around and, and confused and tribalistic that they're busy fighting with each other and they're not actually going after the the real problem, uh, which is, you know, the nexus of all this is is these technocrats. We're not unifying together under one flag or, or you know, a, a country or an ideology or Christianity or anything like that. They're destroying all of that. The technocrats, they're destroying all of that. And so this woke whatever, you know, if you want to call it that, this woke ideology, all this stuff that you're discussing, this becomes the new belief system. There's going to be a vacuum once they finally drive the last death nails and all this other stuff. And so once that goes away, then we're headed to a new form of barbarism, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think th- it just becomes a, you know, a tribalistic fight. Yeah. And, and, to, and what you're looking at is it's a little glimpse into Brave New World. And yet it is only an interim stage. It's not the final destination. And I think that there was a, a Soviet defector by the name of Yuri Bezmenov who came first to the U.S. and then went to Canada. But he speaks, he unfortunately passed away some 30 years ago. But he spoke about how you take over a culture. And he was describing the people who are used. You you call them, they would be the academics, they would be the nihilists, they might be um, sexually deviant, whatever they were, they would be used for a period and they will be the very first to be eliminated when the new system is in place. They would be what you might call useful idiots. So the useful idiots who do not know what gender they are, but they are keen on uh, warping the minds of children, they will be eliminated immediately because they are what Besmanov called contaminated. And they're contaminated by interim ideology. This is not the uh, end game, so to speak. It's not the goal, the ultimate goal. I am so glad you brought that up. And I just so happened to keep this clip on tap for occasions <laughs> such as this. But to eliminate the others, to execute the others, don't they serve some purpose? Wouldn't they be the no, ones they, they rely they on? They serve purpose only at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are not they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen. Of course, they will be lined up against the wall and shot. And that's it. Every time mm-hmm. in history, it always goes the same way. And you know, Besmanov said in one of his lectures, and unfortunately, he was filmed. Just a few times, there's so what he that remains for us publicly, but it's really important information. But what he was talking about there was that you he might try in his day when he was still actively working for the KGB 
um, to bring someone over and show them how broken the system was, how bankrupt it was. And they could not see it. They would not see it. And he said, these people are so far gone. You know, I mean, he was they were patting themselves on the back because obviously they had done a masterful uh, job of bringing this to the rest of the world and, and, you know, destabilizing other nations. But he said, you cannot talk these people out of that ideology. And you can't. I mean, it's it's pointless to try to tell one of these teachers, like, you know, Weston was just mentioning his teacher. It's pointless to even try to say, do you know what you're doing is social engineering and, and, and it's not a good thing? Oh, well, you know, no, they're gone. Yeah. And when he went on to further explain exactly that, uh, he said, the sad part is, is that when their door gets kicked in and a military boot comes in, I'm kind of paraphrasing, of course, and stomps on their face and stomps their ass and drags them off into a gulag somewhere, then they'll understand what mm-hmm. they've done. That's the yep. only time they'll understand what they've done. If you pick them up, mm-hmm. if you physically late. pick yeah. them up and <laughs> you take them to, to a country where they have the concentration camps, they will not believe it. They simply will mm-hmm. not believe it. You can throw out 100% irrefutable, hard fact, documented proof, photos and everything, not doctored, nothing. And they will not believe it. You're absolutely right. They won't believe it. No. And it's the sad fact of reality, uh, I'm afraid. But uh, that that is what it is. But before we move on here uh, to uh, to another topic, I would like to play this clip. Bruce, do you remember the, the, the woman about clarity? She was explaining about clarity. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, we've heard so many talking about clarity. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Th- well, this one, this one's a real specialty, this one. Uh, this is... Let me get her exact name. I really don't want to screw this one up. Her name is uh, Pippa Malmagrin. That's all I'm going to be able to say with that. A member of the Council on Foreign Relations. <laughs> her father served under... Uh, she, served, she served under George W. Bush. Uh, her father served under John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. And this is their plan for implementing a digital currency. This is their reasoning behind it. Well, it may be a bit late for that. Uh, I remember talking to an Australian diplomat at one point about this break between the US and China and said, you know, both sides are gonna say, whose team are you on? Mm. And he said, our job is to make sure the question never arises. But the question has arisen. And so I think we have to go deeper. And it's not about the US versus China. It's about what underpins a world order is always the financial system. Mm. Uh, I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And so I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having a almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights if we're going to have digital money. Uh, But also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto. 
and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. And the question is, will that new system of digital money and digital accounting accommodate the competing needs of the citizens of all these locations so that every human being has a chance to have a better life? Because that's the only measure of whether a world order really serves. Okay. I had not heard that. I have not heard of her. And that was just an amazing little clip. Yeah. Thank you. And, and of course, it's all for our own good, you know. That's um, a better society, as she said. Okay. You know, make, give everybody a better chance. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Why else would they want to know every single transaction of what you're doing on the blockchain and so they can have you know, great detail of, of what you've been buying and how much money you have and so on? I love the word that has been coming up around now. I read about it in one of Klaus Schwab's books on the fourth industrial revolution. And he, the word is trust. You see the blockchain technology allows you to trust every single transaction. And that is one of the concepts around the Chinese social credit system is trust. And, and of course, you know, it's kind of an inverted meaning there, but it is really interesting. That's that's how they'll sell it to us, is that we can now trust the product. We can trust the transaction from beginning to end. Um, there's a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, and the, the problem is, is I don't trust Klaus Schwab farther than I can throw him. Uh, I don't trust <laughs> Bill Gates farther than I can throw him or any of these other people like uh, Dr. Malga, whatever in the hell her name is there. I don't care what that woman says. Now, she is right that the traditional systems that we know, as in like our traditional world order systems, are underpinned by a financial system. That is true. But I think she's overselling herself. Uh, and the reason I say she's overselling herself is because of where we're actually headed. There's a little bit of a problem. And the, the problem is, is, is what I kind of alluded to earlier is I don't see the endorsement uh, of this by the people. Yes, they're going to hold a gun to your head, but I think that's going to cause more rigidity than acceptance. You're, you're going to cause upheaval because when you start telling people, yeah, we need greater clarity over all of your transactions, <laughs> that means you're going to be tracked on everything that you do. People were already rejecting that under COVID. And that that, too, is part of this agenda. You can't have... Just part of this without all of the rest of it, this green energy stuff, the, the electric cars, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, the wind and solar stuff, all of this is, is supposed to work synergistically with each other. You can't have just part of it, uh, in, in my opinion, the way that they're moving, at least the way that I see it, the way that, that Klaus Schwab and the, these people at the World Economic Forum, the way they're pushing it and the way that the governments are carrying this message, it all has to work together or none of it works. It's, it's like if if one circuit fails, then the whole thing just goes dark. Well, if you consider the Department of Defense, the UK Department of Defense document, we've the strategic trends program. Strategic trends program. It's up on cutting through the matrix, and Alan has referred to that document many, many times. Um, and what you what you look at is phases of this. So Malmgrum is saying to her audience is this is a future, it's coming, it's inevitable, but she she's not speaking in terms of years or segments of the agenda. 
But this has been written about over and over as being the de facto system by 2050. But at 2030, there are all kinds of other targets that they're, you know, okay, you're not going to have gas driven, gas powered stoves, gas powered vehicles, all of that. So you've got phases to the agenda. And if you think about how old we are going to be, the four of us in the year 2050, and then you look at the woke group that's coming up, the young people now under the age of certainly under the age of 20, but for the most part under the age of 30, they could care less about privacy. The idea that that maybe there are certain of your transactions or certain even concepts. I mean, th- this is the selfie world. They'll advertise anything. They'll put it up there. What they spent, who, you know, you name it, it's fair game. And I, so I think we take ourselves out of the equation. We're not the target audience for Ms. Malmgram's world. No, I I tend to agree with you and I I tend to agree with your assessment, but that remains to be seen if that generation is even going to make it that far. And the reason I say that is is, is like Uh, the way that it's trending. If you look at the millennial generation, we're losing the equivalent by the metrics right now, we're losing the equivalent of what is it like uh, the, the equivalent of a Vietnam war every 12 months because of this rollout of these these mRNA jabs. So if we're looking at it in terms of that, and then if you go back to the other, you know, you go younger generations than that, they're seeing equivalent to or close to the same number of losses. The other, the, the you know, the two, two things that you want to consider here is that you're looking at eugenicists who want a greatly reduced population. So 2050, it's not just the underpinning financial system. It is an entirely reduced tiny, small fraction of the population that we have right now. And the other thing that um, that I didn't finish saying about the uh, strategic trends predictions is they are ready for this. They've written about their flash mobs. They've written about their angry protesters on the street. They've written about the people who will not go uh, gently into a blockchain system. And, you know, I mean, that's just one study. If you look at any nation, any of the big NATO nations, white papers that they do, they crank them out like, you know, toilet paper. They're they're constantly wargaming the situation for, the, you know, the reluctant people. And but but, you know, sadly, the fallout that we're seeing and from these vaccines and that's just one thing. I mean, sterility through what, whatever you want to say that it that's been an ongoing uh, vaccine byproduct, or is it plastics, or is it you know environmental toxins? Is it a combination of all of those? But the sperm rate of men in the West has been plummeting for decades. So this isn't a war in which we're seeing casualties from one particular uh, thing. It's you know it's many many different factors coming at us at one time. It is. Uh, you're, you're you're absolutely right in your assessment there. Um, I would like to show you this, and this is not something that we can discuss right now because there's a lot to get into with this. Because uh, I want to get into the um, uh, the chat GPT or whatever we were talking about that in uh, in prep too, and I, I want to talk about that because uh, Bruce he really loves to weigh in on that. Uh, but this, uh, you guys can check this out if you like uh, on your own time. I, I know that you said that 2030, yes, that is like their the the UN Sustainable Development Goals and everything that they that they have planned there. 
Uh, but what comes after 2030? Once they hit the 2030 uh, mile marker, what comes after that? All eyes are on 2050, as you said. This is called the WBCSD. This is the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and their vision for 2050. They're already getting started on this now. As you can see, EU digital product passports are on the way. They're already here. And they're just not talking about it quite so publicly. It's public, but you have to dig for it. We looked this up. This is the organization that looks like it's going to take over after the World Economic Forum. So after they've outlived their usefulness there, everything's going to be moved to this. And if you look at the, uh, the individuals that are involved in this, uh, if you just look at uh, their members here, I'll be pulling some of these up, and you'll see a lot of familiar faces on here of the businesses that are involved. 3M, uh, Anheuser-Busch, Amazon, Apple, Abbott Laboratories, Bayer, BASF, just to name a few. British Petroleum, BMW, these things. Chemoirs or DuPont for those uh, that are wondering. Chevron, chemicals, you know, the, all of this. So this is where they're headed. In my opinion, this is their, uh, their go-to group after they hit the 2030 mile marker. And we wondered, where is this group? Where are they based out of? Just so happens they have an office right across the street from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. So they're already set up for the next stage of it. So moving right along, yeah. you wanted to talk about chat GT, but G, GT, I always get this confused. GPT, Why do they call GPT. it G, GPT? What? That like, sounds like a car or something. Why, why don't yeah. they just call it, you know, whatever? Uh, the Chinese have announced today through their company uh, Baidu, I think is the name of it. Uh, they've announced a, a chat GPT style project called ErnieBot. And Ernie Google, okay. Ernie bot, yeah, it's real catchy, isn't it? Uh, I wonder, was that the uh, was that the balloon we saw the other day? Was that Ernie bot was floating around up there? <laughs> Google has announced that they are launching. Is it Bard? B a r d Bard. That's their new Chat GPT rival, and they've also invested in another company. Google has. They've invested in another company uh, powered by Sentient AI. And they're going to start research and development. It's going to be based on their cloud system and direct interaction with that. But you were talking about some things in prep about how chat GPT can be used or how it was being used. And I was unaware. I mean, I haven't messed with this thing. GP was actually telling me you can go onto the website and you can key in certain things and and have it perform certain tasks and uh, and things like that. And I've never messed with it, but he said it's always busy. There's a waiting line or, a, you know, like a, a queue to get into it, to, to use it all the time. But what you were talking about is, that's quite shocking. If that's indeed true before, I mean, these, these kind of things, that's, I don't see, I mean, we're, we're dancing along the lines of certain areas of legality when it comes to tracking people using that, that AI technology. Well, see, I, I can't verify this. I was not able to find anything online that would confirm this, but I was speaking with someone uh, yes, day before yesterday, I guess, and uh, or yesterday, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, I was talking to somebody in Ireland and they were telling me that they had a friend, a younger friend who was kind of in tech savvy on the West Coast of the U.S., and that that friend had looked him up. He said Chat GPT um, that he had been able to tell the fellow in Ireland where he had bought his breakfast, coffee, and pastry, what his actions had been all day long, every day for the past week. You know, I mean, he probably could have gone back further, but he said, "Oh, I see you went into such and such and bought yourself a coffee." 
And um, the the fellow in Ireland thought this was just outrageous. Well, I'd never heard of anything like that. But I remembered that I was riding in the summertime with someone and she was driving her husband's new vehicle. And several times he was in many states away, but several times he'd call to say, why are you stopping there? You're supposed to be on the freeway. And she said, are you spying on me? But he had installed this software app on his phone in the car so that he always knew where his car was in real time. And he said, well, honey, I'm just worried about you. I don't think you should have taken that route. You should go this way. You know, that that kind of thing. Well, you know, of course, to me, this is all kind of a horror show, but it was, you know, his the security of his wife and vehicle here. And I wondered if the chat GPT had this kind of some kind of technology. I've never heard of such a thing, but that's allowing. I know that with GPS, I know they've been able to with your phones, with your cars, know where you were, know what basically what you're spending your money and spend time. But this is a whole nother level of citizen surveillance on other citizens. Theoretically, it would be possible if he was posting on social media, the metadata involved there, it it, it would track like what uh, Wi-Fi you're connected to, what your GPS location was. I mean, so it could have just been through social media that ChatGPT found this information. So, I mean, it, it's possible that you can track people uh, with that, just with publicly available information, stuff that you post online yourself. Mm, wow. People don't realize how dangerous that really is nowadays. Yeah. How, how yeah. yeah, it can I've be exploited. I've never understood that. I've never understood that. I mean, if you, if you even take the AI out of the equation, I, I've never understood that. The concept of people posting their lives online for the world to see. I've never understood the concept of that. Why do you put pictures of your children with all of the crazy freaks out there? And believe me, we've seen them come out of the woodwork over the last five years, have we not? <laughs> I mean, they're reading to your children now. You're posting pictures of your kids online. You're posting mm -hmm. where you're or when you're going on vacation, where you're going on vacation, and you're posting pictures of yourself while you're there with your family. You play the cute little check-in game on your social media feed. If I'm a thief, guess whose house I'm going to go rob? I mean, I'm mm -hmm. I'm just saying what what I I know we talked about like privacy and 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 all of this stuff like going forward, but really, you're, you're posting your mm -hmm. life up there for for complete strangers to see. That's well, from that's, the start of social I mean, media. That's that's, uh, that's always been crazy to me. The concept of that yeah. has been insane. And that's one reason why I'm not that optimistic about, you know, youngsters being outraged by these kinds of invasions of privacy or not wanting to have their currency be something that can be tracked every transaction, uh, you know. And what you were just talking about there, um, there have been several stories about people who were using kind of nanny cams and they had the software, they had the app that would allow them with all their cameras to look at every single room in the house and know where the nanny was and where the baby was and every, well, so, so can anybody else, you know? So and it, this, uh, something else to, something else to keep in mind with this as well. Facial recognition is involved in like Facebook. If you were to post a picture of you, a group photo of you and your friends, you can have it automatically tag each person that's in the photo and it, it'll just go off of facial recognition. Um, so, I mean, is it, it, do you think that's a problem, uh, society? I mean, don't, don't you think the, the spying apparatus that we've placed in and we're just okay with, 
I mean, kids already, you know, the coming generation Zoomers, they already joke about, you know, oh, my FBI agent is watching in on my camera or, you know, listening to my calls or whatever, or, you know, NSA agent or something like they already joke about it. And it's kind of a meme. But I mean, to them, it's just normal life. This is every day. But to them, if they come to school with a bad hair day or they look you know, they, they spill something on their clothes or, you know, something embarrassing happens in the, in the school day. That's permanent. That's on the internet. It's never going away. They can never live that down. So they have that, uh, they already have that mentality of this is permanent. This is the social credit system in, in, in a very early stage. I mean, they're already being conditioned to this. They already have to live their life and, and like walk on eggshells around everyone and everything social media as it as it stands when you post something it's only the perfected you take a picture of yourself well you're going to take 20 selfies and then they post the best one you know or mm-hmm. you know a different thing so it's already a, a perfected lifestyle it's again more conditioning for social credit it's more conditioning of you're basically going to go and live your life in a facade you know with the facade on just doing as you're told and mm-hmm. because you're already, already there. yeah mm-hmm. yeah they're already there And they've done countless psychological studies. When people know that they're being observed, they behave differently. So we're already in a system in which people aren't behaving. Um, I don't know if either of you saw, or maybe you saw it, but uh, Robin Williams film from uh, quite a few years back called The Cutter. And basically you'd have some kind of an implant that was maybe in your eye or it it was a, a chip. It could have been a brain chip. I don't know. But anyway, it basically documented and photographed your life all of the time, 24-7. And cutters were the people who cut hundreds of thousands of hours of your life at your funeral, your memorial service, so that the audience would only see the best hour out of a million hours of life that had been documented, you know, something crazy like that. So it... This is how people are living. You know, you you saw a very unnatural world in which people would do all kinds of crazy things to make sure that something that they knew that had been recorded was never seen by anyone. Interesting. I I know exactly what you mean is this has become like a a normal trend amongst people. I uh, my last trip to the U.S. Uh, you have something you want to say, Bruce? Uh, it, it was the final cut, I believe. Was the final film. cut? Final yeah, cut. that's it. The cutter was a uh, uh, Chuck Morris. Oh, oh okay. Well, I'm interested in that one too. <laughs> I, I didn't see that one, but okay, the final cut. <laughs> um, no, the the last trip I made to the U.S., uh, I I walked into a house of a family member, and they had absolutely everything on uh, this Amazon device. I won't say the name because those that are listening to us on a speaker, it'll actually trigger it. Everything that they had, the lamps, the temperature, like the, the thermostat control, their television, the music, absolutely everything, the oven, the stove. And I'm like, why the in the tap. world? Do you, yeah, the water tap. I'm like, why in the world do you have this? Tear this out. Take it out in you know typical Midwestern. Take it out back and use it for target practice. Go, go, go do something else with it. Do something constructive with it. The only response I get was, oh, you're just being paranoid. So I thought, all right, well, you know what? I just, it's, it's that stubborn uh, generation. You can't reach them. Okay, fine. Then I started talking to friends of mine from back in, uh, back in the States. They're having this conversation about what Google Nest is the best one for them to install in their home. Now, mind you, these are all 
conservative-minded people, all right? I'm doing the air quotes, conservative. And these are people that are very privacy conscious, supposedly. As I'm sitting here listening to this, the discussion is not even about whether or not you're going to put the actual system in your home. The discussion amongst them was about which one do you get the better deal on from the utility company as an incentive to have it installed. And I'm like, fellas, this shouldn't even be a discussion. Like th this shouldn't even be something that you're you're thinking of. You shouldn't even be putting that stuff in your house. And it's like it just it does it doesn't even it, it just doesn't resonate with them. It just doesn't click. All that stuff that uh, that Amazon device, the Google stuff, this Nest system or or whatever. I don't want any of that crap in my home ever. I mean, nothing. I, I have none of that stuff and I have no plans to have any of that stuff. Again, you know, that's just that's just me. That's, that's personal preference. But I mean, I, I look at the, the more nefarious side of things with it, w with these companies. How many times now have these companies been caught? You see it every other week now, it seems like they get caught watching people. They're caught listening to people. I mean, there was a case in Ireland. I, was, it, I was, was it Ireland where a guy was convicted of murder mm -hmm. because they grabbed the uh, uh, the audio recordings from the Amazon device out of the suspect's home? That's how they were able to get him. Well, you can you can go onto your Amazon account, and I believe it's in privacy settings or something like that. You can see what that device is recorded in in its effort to listen to the activation word, and you'll be surprised to find what conversations it's overheard and recorded. Yeah, I'm just not interested in any of this stuff. I, I'm not. I I was messing around with uh, with one of my phones. Uh, uh, what was it, Bruce? A couple of years ago, and I was messing around with it, and I I said, "Why in the world is this thing using so much of my battery power?" I couldn't understand it, and so I put it into developer mode, and which is you know you go through and you can have it if you're like some kind of an app developer or software developer, they give you access to be able to see different features. So I went through. Uh, and I put it in developer mode and I saw through one of the options, you can see your network usage and my network usage was off the charts. And I thought, what in the world is using so much power? My front facing camera had been on for over six months and I never knew it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I had it covered up, obviously, but that's not the point. Yeah. This is my argument is this right here. This is all being done. I, I see the nefarious side of it. I started to see what Facebook was doing about 10 years ago. Uh, this is back when it was still relatively, uh, not everybody was on it kind of thing. Uh, and they weren't able to, to use it in the manners that they do now. Uh, it was still kind of just getting out of the university phase into the general public use. And I, I remember people used to get mad at me, people back in the States, they used to get mad at me. And they're like, why aren't you posting anything about your life? And I said, sorry, I said, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Why, why do you want to see that? What does that affect any decision that you make? And so when you start to read in what these companies were all about and, and scraping data, and then, of course, now we have the dawn of data brokers. You know, they make money selling people's data. Yeah, so, I think uh, all cell phone data is like the geolocation data it is for sale. Like you, you can like consumers can buy it for cell phones um, and so on. Finger quotes, anonymized. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. It's it's so, easy to de-anonymize that information, by the way, or or unmask it, whatever you want to call it. Somebody was telling me too recently about a cell phone that they were looking at, and it was advertising itself as as coming with a camera that had 108 megapixels on it. And they said, I didn't even know that there were that many megapixels in any digital camera. And you, why would you need that? He said, Look at the the habits of people. Those the higher pixels would be when you're printing something out and you want that kind of clarity. He said, nobody prints photographs anymore. Every Everything is virtual. It's on the cloud. You know, who, who actually prints out photographs? But be that as it may, he was trying to figure out 
And then, of course, he went to the nefarious. Why would you have that many megapixels on the phone unless you are capturing real time things that you want to be super, super clear? Right. And if I were, I'm not saying I am this person, but if I were, if I were looking to build a psychological profile on somebody, why would I need to go to law enforcement to do that anymore? If I were looking to do Mm -hmm. that, why would I need that? All of the information that you can get from somebody freely putting it out on social media, that's more valuable than any information you could ever get from from doing it through a magistrate or a court. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and people freely put this out there. Um, I, it, I just again, it, it just it'll never make sense to me. I, I just don't understand it. I, it. But I guess it's for your convenience, I suppose. We're yeah. getting down to the last few minutes here. Uh, any final points that you'd like to uh, you'd like to cover while you're here? Either one of you? Well, I think uh, I think I should bring up and that uh, I want to. Go back to that uh, global risk assessment report from WF from 2023. I wanted to mention um, that they'd actually expect, like, if you read the report, like, it just sounds like a nightmare. They'd expect all sorts of disasters to happen and the world to be fragmented and so on. And one of the things that they're expecting is, you know, they they say, like, a famine may break out in 2023, later this year, and then so on. And we already see with the, you know, the New Zealand eggplant, you know, burning, or eggplant, I should say, chicken factory, whatever you want to call it, egg factory burning and then you had one Connecticut burning and then you had like you know planes crashing into a potato factory in the US. You're already seeing all these uh strange uh coincidences, you know, uh so so called coincidences coincidences already happening, you know, attacking the food supply. So you know I, I, that's a real possibility. And and so I just you know the, basically that they're 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 just saying, you know, look the world is, you know, you know, I guess just you know crumbling as we uh bring in our new system and then so we're sort of in the phase where they're sort of, uh, we're, we're really going deep, you know, we've been in austerity for quite some time now, but the, the, we're being pushed deeper. And actually, they actually specifically state that the developed country, there will not be much of a distinction between a developed country and a developing country by 2030. That That is a good point when you talk about famine and these kinds of events that are going on, earthquakes and whatnot. Uh, Johnny, you were saying that you just didn't see how people would stand for the CBDCs being, you know, just so casually rolled out that there would be some kind of a pushback. And I think that what we've seen for the last few years is this strategy of just relentless one crisis after another until people become exhausted and and you, you can't really fight more than one thing or process more than one major crisis at a time. I agree. Uh, and this is uh, this is something that uh, that Alan had talked about in uh, one of the uh, many clips that he uh, we played here. Uh, I think it was the last time you were on, actually, where he said I think, that I think it was a couple of times. Like, when, yeah, last time Melissa was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you you can only handle like at most uh, four crisis simultaneous crises at the same time, and after that, I think you it was go two. into like this deep depression. Uh, it could have been, yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, we're just um, not wired for, you know, I mean, I I was visiting with some people um, on the weekend and two of them, people that I've known for a long, long time. And we were just the whole group of us were talking about kind of one thing after the other that's going on and our thoughts on it. It wasn't really a gloom and doom, but it was not a particularly cheerful conversation. And one of the women said, oh, I just can't handle this all the time. I have to tune it out. And, you know, so we carefully kind of turned the subject into something more <laughs> lighthearted. But I thought, yeah, that that is how people are. It, it's to be able to sustain it or maintain that thought, those thought processes that you really are under attack. You know, people just shut down. I, I 
till they say, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to think about this anymore. And at that point, that's when we are most vulnerable and whatever it is that needs to be rolled out gets rolled out. Yeah, I, I could see that, you know, as, as being a, a, a tool of, uh, of coercion uh, in the end of it. Yeah, I could see that. But, you know, the age old saying, when people lose everything and they have nothing left to lose, they lose it. Well, let's hope. The universal basic income, if they if they bribe us, you know, if they bribe the people, maybe that'll prevent them from doing anything. I don't want to maybe. be too much of a doom or gloomer, but I maybe I'm gonna throw that out there that that might be a strategy that we have to look out for. Maybe that, you know that might damper you know people's ability to desire to resist. I suppose we'll see in the coming days. We're going to go ahead and call this one done. So again, cutting through the matrix dot com, West and Melissa. I want to thank you both for being here this evening. For those of you. Thank you who are interested in their work, please do get over there and check out the absolute treasure trove of information they have. They maintain the collected life works of the late, great Alan Watt. Uh, and if you're looking to educate yourself or maybe educate your friend or a family member, I can think of no better place to start. They really do work hard over there. Give them a, uh, a visit in your spare time, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Also, Melissa, would you like to uh, give a shout out to your podcast, to our listeners? It's called Real History with Melissa and the podcast that is going up this Thursday will be the fourth in the series and it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm getting an opportunity to talk to many of Alan's listeners from all over the world and, and to get their real history. And I, I think oral history, what we actually experience and observe and can share with others is pretty critical at this point. Absolutely. And uh, I checked out the uh, the second episode. I haven't listened to the third one yet, but I'm looking forward to it along with the fourth. I, I think it's uh, it's great to hear that kind of stuff. Great to hear those stories. Thank you. So again, that's Real History with Melissa available on Spotify. So we're going to go ahead and jump out of here. I'd like to thank all of you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening. Mm-hmm.